We know there is no blessing unless it comes from you, from your spirit. And so we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I have uh, been doing this series on law and grace when we have the Lord's Supper. Those of you that are here all the time, or maybe I should say for you who are visiting, typically we're going through books of the Bible and we are in the book of Acts, and yet we, we step out for today to uh, look at this series we've been approaching using the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm conscious of this this morning, that some of you came in and you, you looked at the title, or you, if you hadn't looked ahead at the, the title or the outline, you heard what I just read, and you parents are saying, yes, go get them, Dale. Boy, do my kids need this. Couldn't have come at a better time, and that, you know, those kinds of reactions. But here's a question, and I hope I can address this today. How does this commandment apply to the rest of us? Here's why I ask that question. I, I'm officially an orphan. My parents are no longer alive. So, does that mean that I've only got nine commandments to think about? You know? And it's like, oh, good. Well, there, there's at least one I'm not going to break anymore. Or, you know. Did you ever think of that? What does this have to do with the rest of us? Because wouldn't it be strange if God gave us his top ten and one of those doesn't apply to everybody or it only applies to them for part of their lives? That to me would be strange. And yet I don't believe that's what he has done. His commandments are for all of us, for our entire lives, and so we've got to say, all right, how does this one fit for me? Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. First of all, let's take a look at the, the place of that fifth commandment, uh, uh, it, it is in a uniquely powerful place, if you will. We have talked about the law having two tablets, uh, two tables. Uh, the two tables of the law you will sometimes hear. And the, the easy way to remember that is uh, for those of you that around Easter or, uh, you know, you ever see Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments. 
It's interesting because there's a lot of confusion between what's biblical and what came from that movie. And a lot of us remember that movie and it's just ingrained in there and we declare that it's in the Scripture. But we have, we have Moses coming down from the mountain. Just use this as a visual. This is from the movie, okay? And he's got these two tablets, stone tablets. That's a good way to remember it the two tables of the law. Now, what are the two tables of the law? Well, the first four are the ones that we just talked about in the the last four messages when we have had communion, and they are specifically man's duty toward God. You'll have no other gods before me, worship idols, and so on, down through the Sabbath. And then on the other table of the law, you could describe it as saying man's duty toward other men. Now, ultimately, it's toward God. But it begins to to look on on this level rather than just the vertical. Um, now, we have to understand those duties flow from man's duties to God. But maybe the easy way to remember it, too, and we, we use this in our uh, reading this morning, when uh, Jesus is asked to summarize the, the law, give me a, a summary of the law, he said two things. Love the Lord your God, that's the first table of the law, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second table of the law. So that's how you can remember those. The first table of the law, God is at the head of that table. The second table of the law begins with parents, mother and father, being at the head of that table. Now ultimately, God's at the head of that table too because he's the one that placed them in that position that position of authority over, in the case of parents, over their children. So that's, that's kind of where this commandment fits in. Let's, let's look at uh, the applications. We first need to look at the, that word honor uh, because it's, it's prominent there. It's, it's at the core of what we are to do. And I want to use a definition that I got from... Uh, Gary Smalley and John Trent, they, they wrote a book, uh, The Gift of Honor, and I, I like their definition. There are many good definitions, but let me just read it to you. Um, honor is a decision we make to place in high value, worth, and importance on another person by viewing him or her as a priceless gift and granting him or her a position in our lives worthy of great respect and love involves putting this decision into action. And I especially like that last part. To, to really honor is not just to, to say words that are honorable, but it's putting it into action. It is showing that honor in, uh, in our lives. Now, the word translated honor in the Ten Commandments could also be translated glorify. And it literally means to be heavy, like, like a, a gem of a, a heavy carrot 
Jim. That word's used some 500 times in the Bible. I didn't count them. I read that somewhere. 500 times in the Bible. And in most cases, it is referring to the Lord of glory. So that tells you how, how important that is. It tells you how weighty, so to speak, that it, it really is. The word honor. So according to this command, who are we to honor? Well, the most obvious, parents, here you go. The most obvious, we have to start with that, is, of course, parents. Honor your mother and your father. Arthur Pink, the commentator, Bible expositor, calls honoring our father and our mother a sacred duty. A sacred duty. And it's not just something that makes things go better in the house. It is something holy before God when we do that. Now, of course, the Ten Commandments are given back in Exodus 20. We read that earlier, and I read to you from Ephesians uh, 6, where it's talking about various relationships there. Right before this, it talks about husbands and wives. Here it talks about... uh, Father and mother, following that, it talks about um, slaves and masters. And then, you know, how one, if you are in that position as a Christian, how are you to act? What, What are you to do that will make you uniquely Christian if you find yourself in any of those positions? So, this involves showing honor. Of course, the challenge, one of the challenges of honoring your father and mother is if your father and mother are not honorable. I hope that's not your situation, but I know, I know that for some of you, you grew up in that kind of a situation. And so, I encourage you tonight in your community groups to bounce that one around. How do we do that, really? How can we keep this command if the the one we are to honor is not honorable? Honor is to hold up high. Now, with parents in Ephesians 6, it specifically says this. This is a part of it. Obedience. Children, obey your parents. Now, how important is that command of obedience to uh, the children? Let, Let me take you to another passage to show you how important it is. In Romans 1, there is a there is a big list of uh things that God is is giving uh, there through the Apostle Paul, and he is saying, look, once I gave man over to his own way, this is what the world began to look like. And he has this list beginning in verse 28 to 32 of Romans 1. He says this, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up 
to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Stay with me and you'll see why I'm tying this in. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Now, get this list. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to others who practice them. You know what I think of when I see that list? I think of, I'm sure you all do, you think of Big Bird, right? (laughs) Big Bird that says, one of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong, you know, and there's a little song about that. You remember that, parents, yeah? Kids? That's how it strikes me. Because here are all these awful, terrible things that are in that list. And then it says disobedience to parents. And at first glance, it seems like, well, that doesn't fit. That can't be as serious as murder and, and strife and maliciousness and gossip and all of that. But you know what? That's the point. It does fit in that list. And it is one of God's top ten. So it fits. Obedience is always an issue. So you who are young enough and where you have the opportunity to obey your parents, Understand, that's not something to be taken lightly. It is heavy before God. While that's always an issue, let me tell you an equal and opposite issue. Because once again, if you parents are saying, oh, good, good, I'm at least on this part of the sermon, point number one, I'm off the hook. He's talking to my kids. Remember, it's our children who are to honor and obey us and not the other way around. When the Word of God is ignored or perverted, the opposite of what God calls us to do becomes the normal. Joseph Epstein wrote an article, and I got this from a a book Kevin DeYoung wrote, and he referred to this article. The article was in the Weekly Standard, and Epstein used the word kindergarki. Kindergarki meaning rule by child. You get it? 
Here's how he describes it. All arrangements are centered on children, their schooling, their lessons, their predilections, their care and feeding and general high maintenance. Children are the name of the game. Here's what happens. In that realm, parents become the servants, treating every want and need of the child as if they were serving a king or a prince. And you know what? That's sin as well. And these are sincere parents. These are parents who want, do want what's best for their kids. I don't have any question about that. But that's the opposite of what the Bible tells us to do. If God says children are to obey their parents, then parents should teach, they should expect, they should require obedience Because if God says to do that, then it's for their best. You sincerely want what's best for your children. Teach them obedience. Don't obey them. (laughs) Teach them obedience and honor. Now, where else does this command apply? For those of us whose parents aren't around, who have done most of our child rearing. Connie and I had children in the home for 32 years. (laughs) You know, that's... So where do we go in terms of this command? In the garden when man was created, the family was the only institution. But then... The fall came. God, in His grace, gave to the world the church, and He gave to the world the state. The state to restrain evil in the world, and the church to spread the gospel. So the family and parents are a model of relationship. But the command to honor goes beyond just mother and father. It goes to those who are in authority. In our Westminster Confession, it uses the phrase superiors, and that doesn't mean that one person is better than another. What it means is those who happen to be in a position over you, you know, whether it is your, your boss or other situations. In Ephesians 6, right after he talks about parents, it talks about um, work relationship. In that case, it uses the illustration of uh, slaves and masters. And then elsewhere we read, for instance, in Romans 13, about the state. It says this in terms of us, how our view of authority ought to be. And I'm convinced this goes under the umbrella of that commandment as well. Romans 13, it says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. You got a problem with the state? Listen to what the apostle says. They were under an oppressive and evil and idol-worshiping government. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, 
and those who will resist will incur judgment. So it's saying that, that we are to submit and, according to this command, even honor. Now, how can we do that? Well, let's put that over with uh, another writing of Paul in 1 Timothy 2. He says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. The most pertinent application here, praying for our president, praying for those who govern over us. And yet how easy it is if you find yourself in disagreement to spend more time complaining or joking than praying. I was convicted of this personally several administrations ago. It was when President Bill Clinton was the president. I was attending a gathering with mostly Christians and uh, the, uh, the person who was to give the invocation uh, got up and he began with a joke about the situation that was going on in that day. And not everybody in that room agreed or disagreed, but that's not even the point. It was so obvious that that was so out of place. And then he prayed for a blessing upon our our gathering, and so on. But it, it wasn't just that I was upset at him. It, it pierced me because I know I had been guilty of joking about the president and, and so on. And so I committed myself not to tell jokes about the president. I don't care whether I agree with him or disagree with him. It's hard to honor. <laughs> Let's face it. It's hard to honor when you're telling jokes at their expense. And I also committed, no matter who was president, to pray for them because that's what God wants. And I, I encourage you to do that too. And you know what? When, when you love your president and you agree with everything he's doing, it's going to be real easy. But the test comes whether you'll be obedient is when you disagree with our president. And that's when you have to look at Romans 13 and say, wait a minute, how did he get there? Uh, yeah, I know we voted and everything, but Romans 13 said that he's only there if God puts him there. And that's why, that's why we pray for them. So we must be honor, honorable and honor them. What about the reward promised in the fifth commandment? The Shorter Catechism, uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, says this. It's a promise of long life and prosperity. And I like, and I put this in your outline, I like what they put here because, uh, you know, all of us can say, wait a minute, we all know people who have honored their parents, but 
they had a short life and they weren't prosperous. So how's this promise work? The con- the, I'm going to just turn it off. That's not his problem. There's, there's something going on. We'll just use this mic. Thanks. Um, here's what it says, and that is as far as uh, it shall serve for God's glory and their own good. So it's not saying absolutely that everybody's going to have an, a long life. We know that's not even true. But it's saying so far as it advances the kingdom, that will be the case to all as such keep this commandment. So we must see this promise not just for us as individuals, but as the body of Christ, as the covenant community. It's saying, look, you want to, you, you want to be prosperous in general? then follow this command. And and here's how it works. You teach your children to honor and be honorable, to be obedient. It's going to go better for you in your household and in our society here and in the greater society there. And a society that does not teach that will end up dealing with the violence of their own children as they grow up and they're disrespectful not just to parents but to others as well. And so that's, that's what it's saying here. The point is to teach our children. And when they grow up, there'll be great benefit for them and for us. Here's the thing to remember. God doesn't give us the commands to make life hard. He gives it for the good of his people and for the church and then for society in general. One last question as we move towards the Lord's Supper. Where's the ultimate fulfillment of this? I want to share with you where I see as the place this was fulfilled perfectly and ultimately. And yes, it's on the cross. Here you have Jesus who had lived a perfect life. And he is on the cross, not dying for his sin, but for ours. And he has seven phrases Seven phrases from the cross. Seven last words, we call them. And one of those is to his mother and to John. He sees that she is taken care of. Here he is in his his great suffering, and he honors his mother. He sees that she is and shall be taken care of. And then we step back. We see that as the specific to his mother. And we step back and we see the ultimate honoring of his father by him being on the cross. By him doing the will of his father, honoring him by going to the cross for his brothers, and that's us. 
Jesus took the cup from his father and did the will of his father at ultimate cost. And that's what we will celebrate today. Because we are the greatest beneficiaries of Jesus honoring his father. The perfect fulfillment of this command. Let's bow together.